0: Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. Every other Sunday we'll release an episode of the podcast featuring an interview with a business owner in the food industry. From restaurants, to breweries, to bakeries and everything in between, we ask them about their journey and the process of becoming a successful business owner in hopes of helping others to do the same. I'm Mike Curtin, and the podcast starts now. Welcome to the Chew Burrow Stew Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so so you never miss another episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode number five of Chew Burrow Stew. Today I sit down with owner Rich Nieto from Sweet Leaf Coffee Roasters in Greenpoint, New York. This has been one of my favorite interviews so far, and if you love coffee, this episode is definitely for you. Unfortunately, because of scheduling, we had to record in his place of business during business hours, which I apologize for because there's plenty of music and background noise. I like to think of it as you're sitting there in the coffee shop with us, type of feel. Rich gives me details of how he struggled early on while opening Sweetleaf, but with continued research and drive for the perfect coffee, he was able to become one of the greatest coffee roasters in Queens. So here it is, episode number five. I hope you enjoy it.
1: Hey guys, welcome to True Brew Stew. I'm Mike Hurdle. I'm here at Sweetleaf with Rich Diniego. How are you doing, I'm Rich? Roger, pleasure. Thank you for being here with us. Yeah, of course. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the industry?
2: Uh, Yeah, so um, I guess I was a coffee geek uh, at home. I like to roast my own coffee. Uh, This is going back, I guess, about two decades. Okay. And uh, I didn't see myself going into the coffee business, but uh, when I had the opportunity to open up, a retail shop in Long Mountain City, which is where I've been working for most of my life. Um, I didn't want to pass it up and I, I gave up my other business that I was doing, uh, in telecom, and
1: I just followed my passion. So, how old were you when you when you decided to open Sweden?
2: How old was I? Uh,
1: I guess about 34, 35. 34, 35, okay. And you opened it in Long Island City, how was, what made you decide to open it there? You were working in that area?
2: Yeah, yeah, I have been working in Long Island City since I was about 13, working summers from my dad, and then started working full-time when I was 17. Okay. Uh, right out of the same building where, where it's now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was working out of there, and then when that space became available, took it and gave it a shot at the coffee shop. Right. And what was that before? Uh, it was nothing, but uh, a long time
1: ago it used to be a pizzeria. Okay. So you were aware that it was a recession going on around that time when you opened there, right?
2: Absolute worst time to open up, especially the coffee shop. Right. And it was, I don't know
1: how the neighborhood was then. But yes. I know it, yes so what made you think that that was the right way to go and that it was going to be a success.
2: Bad idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, it was like, you know, um, we had a good deal on the, on the space right. um, and gave it a shot, but it was really tough. Man. I got to right. tell you, in the beginning, we were doing like average sales of about 200 bucks a day, right. couldn't pay the staff, you know, with, 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 with the sales had to pay the staff. Though. Oh, right. So I was actually working there and working two other jobs to support the business. Really? So not paying myself, just letting the staff take the money that came in and then had to work, yeah, two yeah. separate jobs to try to carry the cost. Just make long. it speak. Yeah, and what I did, I was able to, uh, my previous business, before I closed it, I took out a loan and had been doing okay. So I took out a loan with the bank okay. and I took it, used my credit line, and then kind of used that to live off of for like a couple of years Good. to
1: help. Yeah. Well, I hope things are better now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after uh, what you opened your fourth fourth shop already now, right? Yeah, we opened up
2: uh, our fourth shop in Kings Plaza awesome.
1: uh, a few months ago. Yes, uh, I've been too. there. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, Saw so, the pool uh, wall? The Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. I'm a uh, I'm a firefighter right around there and uh, on Three Point Avenue, so we, we stop by all the time. Oh, nice. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate it. Uh, so you're going through a tough time, probably in the very beginning. Yeah. Very uh, cool. Were you married then, or did you have yeah. a girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Was uh, family like tough?
2: Um, I have a great wife, okay. so um, you know she was really supportive. I had young children two young daughters like just a few years old so it's the really best time to take a risk you know right for
1: sure <laughs> for sure
2: so she held it down you know and um and really took care of all like the home stuff and and we we just had to do some lifestyle changes right and just uh, kind of live within our means and of course and um, do what you have to do man and keep it going you know you got to just
1: keep pushing forward right so the morale of your friends as well as your family were were pretty positive or did you get a little naysayers or...
2: Yeah, you know, I guess I don't listen to that stuff, you know, like I try to keep really positive mental right. uh, attitudes awesome. and I just kind of just don't really listen to like negative things like, oh, there's a recession, it's the worst time, it's like... Yeah, know, right, like, oh, bounce right off it. Yeah.
1: Right, right. Sure. Awesome. Uh, how did you go about finding the capital to start up your coffee shop? Yeah, we you know
2: we started off with not with not a lot. There's a lot of a build out ourselves. At the time, I had a partner, right. so uh, he did a lot of the build out himself, and um, we kept it pretty inexpensive. Uh, we had bought a lot of furniture uh, at the Marché in in, uh, in Paris okay. which we sell. Right. And we still had it and we we're like, well we don't have money for furniture and we can't wait to sell this, so let's let's use it. Right. So we kind of uh, the the building is a nineteenth century building, so it plays really well to oh, yeah, old world uh, furniture uh for furniture. So we put like an old armoire there, we had all these little old antique pieces that we put around. It kinda of gave the place
1: a lot of its charm. Gotcha. And what was one of the hardest what were the hardest adjustments you had to make during that time while opening? That's a good question. Um,
2: I guess it was it was tough, like I wanted to be at the shop all the time. Right. But I realized that there was no way for me to be there as much as I wanted to be because I had to work outside of the shop if I was gonna let the shop if I was gonna be able to keep it afloat. Right. So having to do other stuff away from the shop and work jobs that I didn't really want to work to be able to support your dream seems uh, like you're going like you're not able to oversee it. But it kind of helped uh, me with our whole vision for how we made coffee because I would freak out so much about how everything was tasting. Right. And I I had to try to figure out a way to make more formulas and ratios and I found that weighing things gave me a really uh, consistent product. So if I could t- teach everyone to weigh things, uh, your espresso in, your espresso when it's pouring out, all your coffee, everything was like down to a science. a Methodist madness. Methodist madness. So we could walk away and know that it was repeated instead of leaving it up to, back then things were very different. Uh, that stuff wasn't really happening. You didn't see people weighing their espresso like now you do
1: right,
2: but at yeah. that time It was kind of like you're a weirdo, you know, like right. what are you doing? Did you they... do like research on that? Or yeah, I, that... I really dug into a lot of uh, There wasn't a lot of sites that would help especially coffee was kind of new so you had to go underground right. and go into the geek sites, right? so I found that the best information out there was actually from the whole barista
1: community. Okay.
2: So, because they would just geek out.
1: Right. And
2: I found like my first like coffee hero uh, on these uh, sites. Okay. His name was Andy Schechter. Okay. And he was the first one that I learned from on just by his posts that the reason why volume didn't work when you were making espresso and trying to use volume as a measuring, uh, uh, as, as a measuring tool it didn't it didn't work because of the co2 in the espresso so if you worked with fresh espresso you had a lot more crema right which is very light but it fills up the cup a lot so we used to use shot glasses that's how we were taught to do volume and then i was like but it's different every time every day it's different right and it was like well, that's the way coffee is that's what i was taught but that that's the way coffee is and that you can't what i was looking for was more concrete formulas and answers and that just did not exist right. okay. so uh that was, that's what my trainers were telling me and uh that didn't drive well with my personality so i found uh reading andy's uh post that it was uh because the co2 would be a lot more present in the beginning of the roast of, of you know few days off roast versus a week off roast where the primer dies down. So that's why uh, the formula didn't work. But if you weigh the shot, then you can get, uh, you can repeat. Gotcha.
0: And then once we learned to
2: do that, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Right. So then I was like, guys, this is how we got to make our coffee. You weigh this much in, you weigh this much out. And that's changed through time with, with different baskets that have come out and different approaches to coffee. But but the, the idea of weighing still was... Was still applicable. Was still applicable today. Right. More uh, consistent product. More consistent product. Right. And man, that's all I really wanted. I wanted excellent coffee consistently. Right. Um, and when you weren't away, you see, you're wondering if the person's dialed in properly, if they're serving coffee the way you want them to be serving it. Right. It would drive you mad. Right. So that was really the hardest part. But once we got the formulas down, it, it made
1: things a lot easier. Okay. Uh, what was one of the biggest fears? When opening, and is it still a concern to you? Biggest fears. Hmm. I don't really try
2: to feed into that too much. Right. But, well, I guess uh, the fears were just the unknown of of it all. Right. Like, but I can't really say it was scary. I, I had a certain idea. I, I had done international telecom before I got into coffee. Okay. So I had
1: been to every Latin
2: American country that there is, pretty much. And my idea was, let's open up this coffee shop. It's never going to be able to support my family. Because it's just, there's too small. At that time, it was a third of the size that it is now. Right. There's only 300 square feet. Uh, we hadn't taken the storefront next door yet. Oh, okay. And um, the idea was to be coffee importers. I was like, we got it. I was used to doing wholesale telephone. So I would buy, uh, simplify, I'd buy minutes and then resell them. So it was moving big numbers all the time. It was like you made pennies, but if you, you sold you know a lot of minutes, you'd make a lot of money. Right. Uh, so, the idea was really to be importers. I said, I'm going to use all my connections in these countries so to get source coffee, bring it here, and sell it in bulk. That's what my business was wholesale. That's where I knew. So, and I was like, all right, there's only. So, I started calling my contacts. Can you get me coffee? Can you, like, absolutely, of course. They started asking me all these questions, like, what varietals do you want? What elevation are you looking for? What? And I was like, I don't know shit about coffee. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm realizing right. now that I don't really know coffee. Like, I roasted coffee at home. And I know what good coffee tastes like to me, but right. that doesn't really, I'm like, I have no ability to make a decision on this is a great coffee. I'm going to bring it back to the right. United States and sell it. Like, so I said, Be- before we can do that, uh, I need to learn about coffee in an in depth way. Uh, and then I went down that rabbit hole and had my mind blown. Yeah. Like, I was like, wow, I had no idea there was so much to learn about coffee. Just coffee alone. Just coffee alone. And I was like, I started to really get into the science of making coffee and the art of making tasty coffee. Right. And then I got lost there for years. Just like, I just all I wanted to do was make coffee. Like, my favorite times was being a barista. Like, right. I could just prepare coffee and, like, just taste it and see what, if I do this, what does it do to the coffee? And if I do that, what does it do to the coffee? Uh, that was like fascinating to me, and then I was like, oh man, I don't care about wholesale. I don't care about. Uh, I don't care about wholesaling it, uh, importing it. I just, I just want to make coffee. I, that's what makes me happy. And at that point, I was like, you know what? My idea of before opening businesses to make money. Uh, it changed. I was like, I don't, I realize that I'm not going to make a lot of money in this type of business, but I'm so happy. Right. That I love going to work that it doesn't really matter. Like, I could, I could, I can live off of this. I could find a way. I'll, I'll make it happen. Right. Uh, Until it was time to pay back the loans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Was there a, a, a defining moment for you that you? That you knew things were going in the right direction and was going to be successful. yes really good questions. Thank you. <laughs> um, I thought long and hard about these. Uh, I did my own research. <laughs> oh, good,
2: good. Uh, I would say that the first—I uh, had a few aha moments. My first one in coffee was when. We had just opened up Sweet Leaf, and I flew out to Seattle. There was a big coffee festival over there. So I went to go check out the festival, and it was okay. But more importantly, it was the coffee culture in Seattle. Nice. It, New York had no coffee scene at the time.
1: Well, that's where Starbucks originated, I believe, right? Yeah. That was yeah. their first coffee house. On yeah. The coffee. Yeah.
2: So uh, seeing the third wave specialty coffee scene moving... In Seattle, going to latte art competitions and seeing the community itself was completely mind blowing. I was like, I don't even, I, I didn't understand that businesses would work this way together. Yeah. That I grew up with, like, if I do this for a living and you open up a place across the street that does the same thing, like, we're not friends. Right. We're competitors, and I'm going to take you out. Gotcha. Like, like I have to be better than you because my competitive nature comes out. Going over there and seeing the camaraderie, right. and how they all supported each other, and cheered for each other, and visited each other's shops, and I was like,
1: this is so
2: hippie-like. So <laughs> right. It's beautiful. Right. And I realized also, that's when I first saw like the state-of-the-art equipment that coffee shops were using. Right. I came back and I told my partner at the time, We got to sell everything that we have or just dump it and we got to buy all new equipment. We're doing this all wrong. Uh, And that's when we're like, we have to buy beautiful espresso machines. We have to buy state-of-the-art grinders. We we have to buy the best equipment if we're going to make the best car I just want to make the best car. Right. And then I guess my next aha moment was when I realized that you could make formulas to, to, to not just produce, but reproduce great coffee and then I was like when I had those moments of like yes like every day it tastes great because we're following this formula and it works and it was like we can do this so now this is scalable it's not just like I have to be the one pulling shots or I have to get like an all-star barista who just has all the training in the world to understand what is gonna work and what isn't gonna work Uh, I'm like this is repeatable we can do this we can open up more shops and repeat this right. and that was I guess the next aha moment right and uh, kind of feeling legitimized in uh, there was a New York Times article written by Oliver Strand probably back in 09 maybe it was 2010 it was like New York is finally taking its coffee seriously and they had a short list of coffee shops that were making great coffee in New York, and were worth checking out. I heard about this article was coming out, and I went crazy trying to locate. You couldn't locate a writer back then, right? You couldn't just like yeah, let me go Google. like his like Twitter handle yeah. or on his Insta. Like he was, I was like, how do I reach out to this like writer? Oliver Strand and be like, hey, like, we're here, like, come check us out, like, I know we're in this like area that no one knows about in Queens, right. but just big exposure, right now. Right, but yeah. if we want to be on the map, like, but right. yeah. like we we deserve to be on this list, and uh, I finally got a hold of him, and he said, well, the article's finished, it's coming out tomorrow, but I would I would totally pick it up if I were you. And I was like. I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated because I thought it was like our real chance to kind of make our mark on the New York coffee scene. So I ran the next day to go buy the paper and like I picked it up and we were there. Like, (laughs) he had (laughs) come. (laughs) He had come and he had checked us out. Right. And he had done like his research around and we were the only shopping queens. Uh, We represented the whole borough and then starting to see people come to come check us out because they may have lived where I live, out in Flushing or around Bayside, and like coming to us to check out our coffee, it gives me goosebumps. I was like, "You were coming and like, I'm coming, I'm coming from from like Little Neck, Great Neck, right. Bayside," and I was like, "You you drove 45 minutes <laughs> to have our coffee, and like we had to try this coffee."
1: It's right. great feeling. It was amazing. Yeah. It was like
2: so humbling and so like. Rewarding and validating, and I was it's like, This is what I'm doing the it's rest of my the life. Drive.
1: It's worth it. Yeah, it's worth the drive, absolutely. Were there any uh, mistakes that you had made uh, that you learned from to better your business? Nothing like little ones, but anything that was like a major mistake that you're like, Oh man, it's bad, we can never let this happen again. mistake that we made you know
2: we've made plenty of mistakes for sure Uh, I've made a lot it's usually out of ignorance right so I might learn something like we opened up this roastery here uh, without an afterburner okay what's that so uh, an afterburner is a machine that burns the smoke off of the the, the smoke that's leaving uh, off the roof okay. from from the roasting process. There's a machine that will burn that off so it comes out like vapor instead gotcha. of smoke. I had rented out the space. I had bought a roaster. I had started roasting, got it installed. This all put me into like few hundred thousand dollars in to this roasting business that we were just gonna kick off in 2014
0: right
2: and I get a neighbor calling DEP like crazy every day and DEP I had to shut down the roastery eight months Jesus, I was losing it I was like I, I like what am I gonna do like I that's it like I my roasting business that I started is now like no longer and uh, I got saved by uh, by one of the coolest guys Uh, his name is Brian and owns native coffee roasters he wasn't even a friend of mine I just knew him and I reached out to him and said I got this problem is there any way you'll let me roast out of your roastery and he was like yeah, man, absolutely, like, totally. Like, awesome. And let me, and, like, kept us in the roasting business while we figured out this thing. So I would never do that again. Right. <laughs> Open it up without an afterburner. Um, but it's stuff that you don't know, so I don't, you know, I think you only regret when you know better and then you don't do it. Right. But a lot of stuff that we've made mistakes on was stuff that we didn't know, I didn't know so what can I do? Like Damn. I won't do it again but lesson learned lesson learned okay. that's it that's it uh, so strategies for marketing yeah st- still uh, you know it was our strategies at first were to be we found it, it was helpful to get stories written about you kind of like uh, we spent a lot of our time just trying to keep our name in the the top of like the coffee community so right. when people were writing about like the best places in this neighborhood or in that neighborhood or must check out and stuff like that mm-hmm. like we were getting put on these lists frequently and we focused on just staying in touch with you know i'm not new york and you uh, know uh drop Street, yeah. and new, new york magazine all that stuff and just consistently just kind of staying there, letting them know what was going on. But then it got to a point where there's there's so many shops now right, that no one really goes out of their way too much to go visit a particular shop. I mean, some will, but it really is not a thing anymore. It, there's there's really good coffee, you know, within, within anyone's basic radius. If they live in New York City, they can find, whether they're in Brooklyn or whether they're in Manhattan or even now in you know, Queens, the Bronx, you can find
1: coffee. You can sometimes sometimes it's really coffee. hard still. Sometimes it's it really hard, yeah.
2: Yeah, you're right. But but it's not impossible and it's right. not as difficult as it used to be. Right. So that won't cut it anymore. Like, making it on a list doesn't, it's not going to generate your business. So now it's, it's about, we're kind of reanalyzing all this now about how do you market? Because... You know, it seems like everything has to be social media driven, and like you have to be really heavy on Instagram or on Facebook or on that stuff. And I guess I I probably don't do a good job of it uh, because I'm the one doing it and I find other things I need to do. But I don't know how important that is anymore. Um, I find like I'm starting to find that a lot of times, just recently, I've, I've, I've started to think that. It's very distracting. Uh, social media is a very time-consuming thing. Where okay. just I'm, I'm realizing that deep work is really important. Okay. Kind of. Uh, I just had a good like 90-minute session before I came to this interview with you, where I just like closed myself in my office, and, like, what do I want to really work on? What's really important to do? And starting to, or I want to focus on these things and then doing that. Right. And I feel that that's going to pay off. Way more than constantly getting like a an alert on my phone that pulls me away every you know minute. Like oh, someone just likes something that I got to comment back to them, and I got to like just stay engaged because if I don't stay engaged, then what am I really doing?
1: Right.
2: Uh, someone just emailed me. I have to kind of answer. I'm kind of like trying to bring those things down where it's enough communication on this email. I don't have to answer everything right. because I realized that my whole day can be. Just dictated by my inbox. Of course. I go to sit down, like, oh, what's, and, and then feel like, oh, I, I did so much work today. Like, I answered, I have like three different emails that I work off of, and I'm like, oh, I ripped through my emails today. Like, did I really accomplish what I wanted to, or did I accomplish what was thrown in my face? Right. So, I, I'm kind of realizing that it's really important to focus on the direction you're trying to go in and stay focused and. You know, whether I get 120 likes or, you know, 200 likes, it, it's it's only important if, if if that's the project that I'm actually trying to push. Right. Otherwise, I'm being led instead of being a leader.
0: Gotcha.
1: So how important is going into that and take, kind of like shutting yourself off, how important is it to take mental breaks for you? just take time away from your business is that a thing or is it you love it so much no it's a big thing for me
2: um,
1: I learned a lot from uh, my father he's like
2: really like my hero as far as like entrepreneurs and stuff like he came to this country with 50 bucks in his pocket not knowing you know anybody here right and, I, and just basically lived the American dream like right worked his way from the bottom to open up his own businesses he's a developer now he's doing really well for himself and has really done work i feel like i never could have done um he's a workaholic like my childhood with him was not a lot of like like i feel like our relationship really started when i became an adult Okay. was a more because now it was more, more about a man to a man right. about work stuff and he's always involved in sort of uh, helping me with uh, ideas I may kick around on something I, I'll still go to him yeah. for advice he still works every day he's 80 years old that's um, insane it's yeah great. it's insane but he keeps him really young right. and, and, and active and uh, sharp right. as a knife. but what I learned is that from a young age, I was like, I don't want to be this workaholic. I want to uh, have a good family life, and I want to I want to have a f- fulfilled life. I don't want to make money my uh, my goal in life. Right. right. Uh, money is only good if it if it gets you something right. that you want and that you value. But the money itself, um, it's really not. It doesn't really float my boat. So, I had an epiphany a few years ago um, where I kept saying that I was going to go away with my family, we are going to go to Europe, on, you know, one summer and have this and, and, and we are going to do vacation. That we are going to spend family quality time building memories and things like that. And every penny, I mean in the beginning I didn't have any money when we opened up sweetly because my daughters were very young. Right. and then. It's always like you get some money. and It's like, well, this is to either pay back a loan or to reinvest into another shop. Right. So I was always just scratching for some money. I was always like, didn't have superfluous money that could just spend. Right. And one day I was in the car with my daughters and my wife, and uh, she had taken us away to Woodstock. My wife had booked an Airbnb for us, and we got this time together. And I realized uh, we hadn't really done this much. How beautiful this was.
1: Yeah.
2: and I like literally I was like I'll never forget this moment I hope uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water was playing on the radio right? and I looked in the rear view mirror and I was like my little babies are big now like my oldest was about 14 right? my other one was 10 I was like I keep talking about what we're going to do and I, every year passes by and I always have a different excuse of why I can't do this so i was like there's no nothing nothing nothing's gonna talk about it we booked a trip to to europe and it's been four years now and we've gone every year we're going to go to mykonos this uh like in a couple of weeks awesome and i really realized at that moment that if i didn't balance my work and my family better And put as much emphasis on building that with them as I did my business that I would regret it my whole life. And we changed that around. And I think I do a really good job now of balancing work and my family life. I'm just just keeping them in, in, in balance is really important. That's great. Oh. Well, I hope you enjoy so I'm actually going to Europe myself soon. So oh yeah, where are you going? Uh, Santorini. Oh
1: beautiful. Santa Rina going on a cruise, so yeah. it's happening with a little bit of Croatia, Montenegro and then Greece. That's amazing. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Uh so you talk about your product before you talk about it. Went away from it for a little bit, but are you constantly looking for better distributors or do you have a distributor that you use that you're you know, you have a good relationship with and you are you constantly looking for something else? it's a good question um,
2: I'm I'm a firm believer in relationships right and that uh, solid relationships build great things and not scattering around and trying to just find maybe a, a cheaper price on something or finding someone maybe to do, like like jumping around from relationship to relationship I don't think is a good is that a good business model for, for us? Right. Uh, so I work with very closely with uh, Aleko. Aleko owns uh, Red Fox uh, Coffee Merchants. Okay. And I've known Aleko for, we've only been roasting for a little over four years, but I've known Aleko for a little over 10 years. Uh, he was the green buyer for Stumptown. Okay, Stumptown. So right. we used to use Stumptown when we first opened. And then, after Stumptown, you know, the owner sold off to, you know, uh, venture capitalists and kind of sold off the company, Alecco left. A lot of the core uh, of Stumptown left to pursue their own things now that the owner was out of the picture. Right. So he opened up Red Fox uh, right around the same time that we started roasting. Okay. So it only made all the sense in the world to me that we would work closely with. Eleco and Red Fox. Right. So I fly out with him every year to Colombia where we buy most of our coffee from. And then when I go there, I go there to, to buy the best coffees that we can. We have a certain mill that we like to work with. And then out of that mill, we'll taste maybe 100 or 130 coffees on the trip. Yeah. And then wow. choose a handful of my favorites. And I believe in the business model because it's a direct trade, and it's it's uh, it's a system that he runs where the farmers, the producers, are getting paid more money for higher quality coffee. So when we go there and we're tasting through the coffees, we're scoring them at the same time. Right. And I'm there to buy the best coffees I can find. I'm going there because I get to the front of the line. I get the I get the pick of the liver. Right. But I'm seeking the top coffees course. So, since I'm I'm not going there to find the best deal, I'm going there to find the best coffees. And then, what makes me feel good is that when I find them, they're going to be the highest scoring coffees. We agree. We don't. We're professional coffee tasters. It's not like I'm going to say this coffee's amazing. He's gonna be like this coffee's terrible. Right. It's not like that. So, knowing that I'm leaving there, and knowing that I paid top dollar. To these farmers for their coffee and seeing and talking to them and talking to their children to well, a lot of these farmers children children's are now in their uh, early 20s and hearing them now say we used to not know what our future was going to be because we knew that coffee was a dead end for us and that my family would never be able to live off the coffee industry because it's just going downhill but now working with Aleco and Red Fox and, and Roasters like you guys, with the premiums that are paying, we're paying you know three or four times the amount of coffee that's the price for the coffee than the coffee uh, commodity coffee. Right. And knowing that this is going to them that they make for me. It. And it's like, now they're buying more land and the children like, now I bought a, a, a plot of the land and now I've planted new crops. So now I know that there's a future for us here. And when you're talking about very uh, humble, hard working, like beautiful hearted people, like some of the most beautiful people I've ever met have been in these small villages. And seeing that what we're doing impacts them back at origin, instead of the way the coffee industry was kind of designed, which is step on the people of origin and make their money here and squeeze the prices down and have them barely able to live, right. and while we are happy because we sell them coffee at a high, that doesn't, that that shouldn't be any right. in any in any industry.
1: Yeah, it doesn't add up. It doesn't. Add it's up. not right. It's not. So, speaking about caring about workers, uh, how did it feel for you to become an owner, have workers under you? Is there stressfulness to know that your people's livelihoods, I mean, fall on 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 the business able to as far as the people you work for is like having to hire, fire uh, if things didn't work out.
2: Yeah, I think that um, I don't. I don't feel a a lot of pressure. I would say I feel a. Um, I feel that I have to do things in what I would consider the right way, right. ethical way. Right. Um, I try to treat everyone on staff really nicely. Right. Uh, treat them like family. Uh, be there for them if they need. If they're in a situation of need for something try to be a source for them I've always told my staff if I see that they're trying to get another job somewhere else to get some extra shifts I always say just if you need if you have a need like come to me first, Right. let me try to help you With your needs and then if I can then it's different, but I'd rather meet your needs I feel like you shouldn't have to have two or three different employers to be able to You know have your your income where you need it to be right. um, so I feel that in in that sense I feel a responsibility but at the same time it's usually not a situation where people are looking to stay with you for years I I really take care of the ones that do like I have managers uh, or not who are not managers who have been with me for Eight years, seven years, five years—it's a long time. Because a lot of times, people—if you gotta understand who you're hiring, what's their situation, what are their needs. So, if I hire someone who's going to school um, for a certain profession, they're gonna they're gonna be an engineer, an architect, or anything else, right? Um, I understand that this is a job that helps them pay the bills, but it's not their career job. So I, I, I see that person very differently than I see a person that comes in and says my passion is coffee and I want to uh, I want to work right. in coffee for the long term. It's not that I value one over the other. It's that my vision for them is different. Like I if someone wants I I need to make sure they can grow. Right. If someone's just coming to work for 6 months or 12 months while they're going to school, then my my job is to give them a place of, of employment where they can get the shifts that they need, with a 3 or 4 that fits their schedule, and then that's it. Right someone else i got like, okay what's my plan for you because if i keep you as a barista for five years you're going to feel that maybe i won't put you in like i wasted time here you know? I, I didn't grow so i have to find different things for them whether that is to become a manager whether that is to learn how to roast whether, whether it is to do sales and coffee uh, these opportunities need to be kind of in the pipeline for them so they know they're getting somewhere they're gaining something
1: to be a teacher to the, to the people who want to grow here. Yeah.
2: yeah, and that's where I recently realized that uh, I need to focus. This is like kind of what I'm talking about where I'm like, you know, it was very easy for me to constantly teach my staff when I was working alongside of them because if you were going to talk to me the conversation was more than not going to be about coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, what has, that's where my interest was and that's what I wanted to communicate and talk to them about. And that was easy. But as you get more and more shops and more and more staff, and you're not around each shop or spending as much time with them, then those opportunities and those moments become less and less frequent. And then I realized maybe I'm spending too much time on my inbox when I should be taking care of my staff and making sure that they feel that they're growing and learning. And it's not just like, they're not just pulling the shop like telling them stories about whose coffee they're working with, this guy back in in Colombia or in Peru, and this is, and this is a little bit about them, and this is what they do, and this is why we chose their coffee, and then, like, having them understand, oh, wow, like, there's, there's a story to this coffee. This coffee is a, is a, it's, it's so hard to get a great cup of coffee because there's so many people along the way that can ruin it of course so a farm a farm can have great coffee one year and not very good coffee the next year which is why I've, I've kind of also learned that you can't necessarily build a relationship strictly with a particular producer because they may not be able to produce the coffee that you're looking for each year so we work with the mill, which is where these farmers go and bring their coffee. But then we want to work, and I figure if I'm trying to buy the best coffee, I'm paying top dollars. So that's not a lot of roasters are going to go to and just want to buy the best coffee they can get their hands on. They want to buy a, a coffee that hits their price point. Right. Um, so that's not my intent when when I go. So I feel that. My role in this is seek out the best coffees, pay top dollar for them, and that's a and that's an integral part of the coffee chain. Right. And then, of course, I buy coffees. There's some blends that we have that are lower price blends. But well, I, I clearly say when I even when I wholesale, them, this is not the best quality. You want the best quality, you're, you're in this area. This is all, all home But right. sometimes someone has a coffee shop or a restaurant and they're like, I'm not looking for the best coffee I can get in hand. I'm looking for a really good coffee at the price I need it to be for my Christmas. And then I, I try to put them where where they need to be. And a lot of times, uh, wholesale accounts will ask me something like, uh, well, you're telling me that this is kind of where I want to be uh, buying coffee, but... Why don't you use this at, at your coffee shops? And I was like, well, because you came to me saying you're looking for a coffee that's in this kind of price point because you have to hit your margins, especially in a lot of the restaurants like they have a very tight margin that they work off of, right? And they may not be charging the kind of money that maybe other places will be charging for coffee. So, like, I can afford to pay this, and I want a coffee that's a crowd pleaser and like so this is what we have for you but at my shop I only serve single orange and coffees and I'm right. serving the best of what we have so it, we're we're looking at things a little different you're looking to
1: put out good coffee you're looking to put out fantastic great coffee every single time right I mean that's what that's what you do you know? yeah so I mean, it, you wouldn't expect anything less
2: yeah, you know, that's not like when, when we're buying these copies. I'll, I'll I'll come back and I'll talk to you know my director of wholesale, and it's like these are beautiful coffees. and, I, and I'm like you probably won't sell any, right. and then and he's I'm like but we'll we'll serve them, right, and he's like because I may have to sell that coffee for fourteen dollars a pound, for a wholesale kind of like maybe they only want to pay ten dollars a pound, and like they can't afford to pay the fourteen, and like that's okay, like. I'm still going to buy the coffee because it's amazing. And then I'll serve it at sweetly. Right. And then if anyone wants to showcase it or do something special, then they can buy these like coffee. Right. But my, my my goal is not to go there and say, I need to find the coffee that I know I can sell easily. I'm, like, I'm going to, see, I'm, I'm, I'm on the hunt for
1: something special. So overall, somebody was trying to open their own place. What would you suggest now? One, one good bit of advice.
2: Um, at first, I guess I I'd ask some questions. One of my first questions would be like, why? Uh, a lot of people are opening up coffee shops right now for the wrong reasons, and I see them. I get they come across like my path because they'll come reach out to us and say we want to buy coffee from you. So, okay, great. Um, we're gonna open up a coffee shop. Cool. Um, what's your background? I'm an architect. Okay. Or like, I own a grocery store. Okay. I'm like, so why do you want to open up coffee? Is it passionate? Like, oh, cause you know, like, it's just a lot of people. Maybe like, I'm done working for the man. I want to open up my own thing, and coffee seems like a good thing to do. I'm like. Probably shouldn't
1: be okay. It. Right. And it's not this, really this what is not for you. It's not for you. If you right. have
2: no experience in this field, right. And you're not passionate about it, and you kind of do it because you think it's a, you want it, like it's a cool place. Like I just want it, It's easy. It's like just like then. It's, it's ignorant. Right. It's you're going to something you have no idea, and it's a little insulting that you think it's easy. Right. Um, and then I see a lot of them open, and. A lot of these we we won't take the account because we just, I'll see the kind of things that are important to the owner and I'll say like this is probably not a good fit for for us. We're probably not the best fit for you and and then they'll go off and do something else and then I'll, but I'll keep my eye on the business and see it. And then I see most of them go out of business within a year or try to sell off to someone else. And they come, they'll come back, and I'll check in with them, and they're like, it was, it was, it was, I didn't expect a lot of these things. Like, well, well, how could you expect them if you didn't know anything <laughs> about them and you didn't even really want to learn? So, going be, for the right reasons. Make sure you love right it, reason. make sure yeah. you know about it. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, like, my old partner, uh, when when he, he had opened up the business about, and I got into it a couple of weeks after, And uh, he had hired uh, all green staff. Like, they didn't know anything about coffee. And when I came in, I was like, you know, everyone here doesn't really know anything about coffee.
1: Uh, So green staff, you mean? Green,
2: meaning like, no experience. Okay. Yeah, and I said, why are you hiring? Like, we didn't know about coffee. And he's like, "I, I don't want anyone working for me that knows more than me about coffee and uh so i did not want people to start telling me like do it like this and do it like that this is why the time we were had like
1: a little we butt heads. yeah we, we
2: were butt heads, but i mean we just have a different vision right and i was like i too do not want anyone working for me that knows more about coffee than me because i'm going to learn so much about coffee right. but right now i don't know a lot about coffee and we need people who know in our exteriors okay. because like, we don't know, they don't know, so what the hell are we doing? Really? Right. Um, but it's it's definitely something where you want to work with experienced people and, like, hire people who care about coffee and will want to be with you, you know, uh, and see your vision. Of course. But if you kind of just go into it because it seems like a good business and uh, you you don't know whether you want to open up a hardware store or a coffee shop, <laughs>
1: surround yourself with the right people not the right business did you have a funny story for us prep
2: yeah you know um from your time in the industry yeah definitely uh I'll tell you like just an odd story that was one of the coolest things that I've ever like witnessed Um, I had a customer when we uh, when we First expanded sweet leaf, right? There was this little room in the back that was tiny, like maybe like I don't know, seventy square feet or something. It's a, okay. Maybe not even that big. It's a little. It's like a little pizza slice right. in, the, in the back of the shop. And we were kind of designing the shop, and my sister is an interior designer, so she helps with so many things with us. And I like, "What do you want to do in this back room?" And she said, uh, "You know what? It's so like..." Not really, you don't see it, it doesn't really matter. Just think about what you'd want it to be, and we'll make it that. So, I went home that night and thought, like, what would I really love if I could do anything? And I grew up a a metalhead and like rock and roll and stuff, so I was like, I want to make a record. I'll make a room where you can go to, and I'll put my whole record collection there, all my rock and roll albums. And I wanted to be like this rock and roll record room you could just go to and just have like a little sanctuary. So she was like, great. So we got this cool like red and black vintage like wallpaper that was like velvety and we put all of our like, all of my coolest albums up on the wall and uh, filled it with records. Anyway, this guy used to come in all the time uh, for an Americano he always came in and he always came in a suit, clean, shaven, uh, was just a, a, a uh, worked in, I think, finance or something, and uh, really serious kind of guy. Like, wasn't the most pleasant guy. Right. Uh, you know, I would try to charm up the customers. And he was pretty, like, straight shooter. And then he didn't want to mince words, so he just wanted to get his stuff and get out. And always kind of looked like like high-strung, you know, like stressed out, like, and uh, I said to this guy, uh, one day, he's like, seemed particularly down, and he asked for an Americano to uh, to stay, which he had never done before, and I said, uh, he went to go sit down at the bar, I said, you know what, man, have you ever sat in the back room? He's like, no, what's back there? I said, it's, it's our record room, man. I have all these albums back there. You should, you should go back there and like, and like and listen to some records. Right. He's like, all right. So he goes out there, puts an album on. Started coming in multiple times a week. Have his Americana stay. He have his Americana stay, go right to the back room and hang out. As months go by, I see this guy changing. Like, his energy's different, his hair's starting to grow out long, <laughs> he's starting to grow out a beard, he gives goosebumps just talking about it, right. and, I, and I'm like, what the hell's going on with this guy? And then one day, I'm just like, I talked to him, he's like, hey man, I just want to like, I just want to thank you, and I was like, like, thank me for what? He's like, you won't be seeing me anymore, like, um... I'm leaving New York. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, man. He's like, I realized that I'm not happy with my life. And uh, just having this time in that room to just kind of like, have my, my my sanctuary, like, enjoy my... And I realized, like, I'm not happy, man. I'm going to go pursue the life I want. It's awesome. I never saw the guy again. He left with a full beard, long hair. And I was like, "That's the coolest thing I've ever seen."
1: Like, yeah, transformed the man.
2: Unbelievable! <laughs> it was unbelievable. I was like, "That That's is a such a freaking." I was like, "That's such a cool thing to witness." Absolutely. And it was like I was like, "Man, I always think about that." It was, it's been like seven, eight years. I still yeah. think about it. I always picture like having a great time.
1: Yeah, surfing somewhere. Somewhere, maybe. Yeah. Rich, thank you very much for your time, man. I oh, really Mike appreciate it. I'm Mike Hurton, Sue, Rich Nieto, at Sweetleaf. Leaf. Um, Cheers, Green, guys. In Greenpoint. Thank you very much. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Hey, guys. So that was the interview. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Special thanks again goes out to Rich Nieto from Sweet Leaf Coffee Roasters. If you're in the need of a delicious cup of coffee, Sweet Leaf is definitely your spot. I highly recommend The Rocker Fuel. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing an episode of the podcast, so stay tuned. Like I said, subscribe. You'll never miss another episode. Once again, I'm Mike Hurt for Chew Stew. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.